So the rest of us can continue this morning in our new sermon series called Culture War. And if you were here last week, you already know the deal with this. And if you weren't here last week, I want to refresh your mind what we're talking about. So much of the time as Christians, we spend uh, time talking about the culture out there, right? And how it's a battle with the culture out there. And we believe that, that is true. There is a spiritual fight going on. As a matter of fact, we believe, and if this isn't too broad of a brush, that all things are spiritual. That there's nothing in your life you experience that isn't a spiritual battle, right? Whether it's not wanting to get up in the morning, like today, right? Or getting mad at the person in front of you because they aren't moving fast enough at a stoplight. Anybody guilty of, um, okay, just recent experiences for us. These are spiritual wars that are happening. And what we realize, we think deeply about it, is that the war is not out there with them and those people, but the war is in here with us. As a matter of fact, if we know we're engaged in a spiritual battle, we want to consider how should we be fighting the spiritual war differently? How should we be fighting the culture war differently? And so what we want to do as we lean into Easter, because we're about, what, five weeks out from Easter right now? And so we're really pressing in toward Christ giving himself for our sins and indeed for that high, holy day of resurrection, which is incomprehensible on its face. We want to think about who we are and how we're behaving toward other people. So the idea of the series is we're going to talk about the culture of the church. What kind of a culture would the church need to develop that would be most honoring to God? most pleasing to him. Well, if you've read the Bible, and I hope you have, you'll, you'll begin to realize that the person who most pleased God was his son, Jesus Christ. And so we can look at Jesus' own life as a model for mission and ministry for how we ought to love and serve other people. We're all invited into this work, and this isn't for those holy saints. It's for all of us, listen to me, all of us who believe that Jesus forgave our sins. That's a big deal. That means that you were born again, that you are part of his kingdom people. If you read the scriptures, you'll know that when he invites his disciples to follow him, he doesn't just mean walk behind me. He means do the things that I've said you should do or do the things you've seen me doing. So we're all invited to do this. We had our leadership team meeting this last Wednesday night, and we were talking, and one of the things we were really wrestling with at Family Bible Church is, is, the, is the power and importance of small group Bible studies, of family groups, right? That's just small group gathering. And, it's a, and we talked about the difference between a Bible study and a family group. And a Bible study is a place where you might get together with friends, and maybe you've been in a Bible study before, and you read the scriptures together. And you say, oh, I think it, this is what I read in there. And you all share, and then you pray, and then you, you're blessed by that. And that's great. But what we began to articulate was there's something different between going to a Bible study where you can put on that smile for an hour and make it work, and being in a family group where you eat a meal, where you do life, where you grieve, where you celebrate, where you find support, and maybe even find some conflict, right? That there's something different happening in those groups, small groups, that aren't always happening in Bible studies. Why? Because the topic, in some ways, becomes us and our actual lives, how we live. We gain some things in those gatherings. So I say that to say this. The leadership team was talking, they're like, you know, we need more small groups. We have a couple, maybe two, three great small groups, but we need more small groups because we think there's so much important stuff happening there. Maybe that's something you would feel compelled to do, to lead one or to host one. Um, don't, don't, I hope you don't ever doubt what God can do with someone just faithfully making themselves available. So if you feel led to do that, you know, talk to a leadership team member. We'd love to talk to you about it. One last thing I'll say before we pray is this. This is supposed to be a practical and applicable series, right? Sometimes we put all the spiritual stuff on a high holy shelf and we can't get to it. So this, this, this series is about like how can we actually do the things that Jesus said we should do? And how, can, how do we actually see him live them out in his own life? And so we want to make it practical and applicable to all of our lives. Hopefully that's true. 
I'm going to invite you now to do what we always do anytime, small groups, family groups, Bible studies, personal study, enter into God's word, we pray. It's his word. He caused it to be inspired. He can cause us to understand it. So pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the chance that we have to be together in your name. I thank you for the great songs we got to sing about your glory and your holiness and who you are. And Father, I, I praise you that you've revealed yourself to us in such a way that we can know you like that. That we didn't figure this out on our own. We didn't come in here smart enough to know, Father, but you corrected us. And in our repentance and our faith, we see you revealed. Father, this morning as we've gathered here, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to you. I pray that whatever we brought in the door, whatever things that we kind of let stand between us and you, that we would just set them aside for a minute and listen to your word. Oh, Father, that you would be our teacher. Your word promises us that in those days that you will teach us and we won't need man's teaching that we can rely completely on you for the things of this life. And so, Father, would you fulfill that promise today in our hearts and our lives for real? Would you meet us where we are, and would you shape us because we've encountered you? You're the only one that can do it. That's why we ask for it, and we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we talked about being invitational, right? That first step of, hey, you should come check it out and how low-key that was for the disciples of Jesus to say, hey, come see this Jesus person. And that being the whole responsibility of, of, of I guess, bringing others to Christ. You know, you ever heard that saying, I brought someone to Christ? I don't know what that means except, hey, come check it out, right? But God has to give folks eyes to see what is happening. And so this week we're going to talk about the idea of being a welcoming church, being a welcoming church. And when I say church, I mean like the people of God, not the building or the organization even, right? But the kind of place when you walk in, you feel welcome, you feel known. And one of the things, and this again is functioning out of my own small group Bible study, is that Jesus was so welcoming to others and to his life, right? Like one of the things he did is he really let people see how he really was. And you go, well, that's great. Jesus, he's perfect. Yeah, but, I mean, he was letting people in for real, and there were some moments that was really tough. He invited people into those tough moments. It's an opportunity we have to welcome people and to receive them and with grace, right? Like, if there's some excitement. So we're going to talk about that today. What we're going to talk about, though, are categories. And so we're going to have seven categories of people that it seems to me, as looking at the life of Jesus, he was particularly interested in welcoming, right? Now, it's fair to say that he welcomed everyone, and he certainly did, but... There were particular people that he seemed to have to be specific about welcoming because we have a tendency not to welcome them. As a matter of fact, if you think about Jesus' ministry, he was very much coming to the people of God, the Israelites, and saying, you need to be welcoming to those who feel far from God. He keeps saying that, right? You think you know, but you don't know. If you knew, you would, you would be welcoming to people. And so we're going to talk about that today. I don't know if you've ever felt like what really, truly welcomed some more, but it is an awesome experience to feel welcome. You know what I mean? Uh, to, to, you know, I told you before, like, I'm always the, the feels like the odd guy in the room. Like, I, I self-relate that way. But when you walk into a place and you feel welcomed and known, it's a powerful, powerful thing. What are these categories? This is so appropriate, by the way. Um, this is just God's planning as this um, dedication has been planned for months and stuff. But the, one particular category of people that I, and I've been telling you all this for a while now, that Jesus is particularly interested in welcoming is, who? Children. Jesus, you know, there's a song, Jesus loved the little children, but like he really loved the little children. Isn't it funny that we would have a tendency to forget that Jesus loved kids, that he welcomed children into his life and indeed into his ministry. If you want to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, if you brought a Bible along, it's Matthew 19. If you didn't, there should be someone on the end of the chair rows around you. If not, they're over by the, um, on the tables on the sides of the room. 
And so we're going to start in Matthew 19. We're going to work out on Matthew and Luke today and a couple other verses other places. But those are the primary texts we're going to be using today is Matthew and Luke. So Matthew 19, 13, just two verses here, 13 and 15, 13 through 15. Then the little children were being brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after he had laid his hands on them, he went on from there. This is the classic story. We talked about it before recently, right? But Jesus was busy making waves. He was busy healing people. He was busy teaching the kingdom truths. He's busy doing really important stuff. And the NIV doesn't say it exactly, but the Greek does. It says that people were bringing children to Jesus, that people were responding to the gospel by bringing the children to, to see him. And the shocking thing about this, and it should be shocking for the church, it should be shocking for the church, that of all the people who were, you know, crowding around Jesus and stuff, it was the disciples of Jesus who rebuked, what's the word say, them. Who, who, who are the, the disciples rebuking? The people who were bringing the children. They were, they, they were saying, stop, what are you bringing your kids here for? This is a kid-free zone. Don't you know we have equipment up here that's going to get knocked over? Don't you know that we have, a, a, you know, it's going to be loud? Don't you know? Uh, by the way, over here this morning, I love it. There was like a little video game happening over here. It's like a do-do-do-do-do. Every time, you know, it's like, I love it, man. Because why? Because don't you know? Don't, wait, wait. Shh, shh, shh. I remember one time, um, I was hanging out with some church friends, and they're like, you know what really, you know what really gets me aggravated is those kids are loud in the service. And I'm like, what? Man, can I just say, if I ever get that way, would you just shake me and say, stop it? Jesus loved the children. He welcomed children into his ministry. He welcomed the chaos of that. Have you ever, we were up here a minute ago, right? And they were like, um, the, everybody's having their moment, Theodore, you know, <laughs> everybody, and aunt's helping out, and grandma, everybody's trying to, like, shh, 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 you know, you ever been on a plane with a parent, a baby? I just pray for the parent the whole trip. I don't care about the baby. I pray for the parent. You know how the parent feels? Oh, just stop. Oh, just stop. You're in this tube, you know? Oh, just don't, don't do that now, you know? I, the baby's fine, mom, dad. The baby's fine. Like, how many of us need just an advocate like that, right? To say, it's fine. Let your children come here. Let them knock some stuff over. It's fine. We'll, we'll fix it. No big deal. You know who had the most tenants? The disciples. What are they doing? It? This is, you know, this is an adult-only room. This is for the important sacred stuff. Do you know who he is? Jesus, Jesus rebukes. Listen, we know the word says that they actually rebuked them. It's the same word that's used whenever Jesus was talking to demons, just pushing them out. You don't belong here. It wasn't like a sly, subtle kind of like, hey, keep it. It was like, get, get, what are you doing? You're, you're interrupting things. Isn't it funny, by the way? And I think about this all the time, right? That, you know, we spend our, I, I, it must be us that's the problem, isn't it? Like, it must be us as adults that's the problem, that we don't see that in children. That we don't automatically just go, oh, hey. And you know, I think it is a little bit. We've worked really hard to become the adults finally, and we want our time, right? You remember being that kid that was like, hey, 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 and no one's paying attention to you, right? Now I'm at the big table, right? That's how we feel. And we're like, what are you doing at the big table? No. Jesus was the opposite of that. He would say, welcome the children. Man, and then he goes, so here's what he says. He says, let the little children come to me, and don't set them aside. And this is kind of a funny thing, actually, because you know what we just did? We just dismissed, just dismissed the blast students to go to the side room for teaching. I talked to a friend of mine who has a conviction about this, and he goes, we don't do that in our church. Our, our kids stay in the service because we think that it's important they be in there. And I'm like, oh, those poor kids. That's what I think. You know? I mean, oh, poor you, right? You've got to spend 30 minutes with me. Like, but, 
But no, I get what he's saying. I get it. Like, no, yeah, I understand that. So don't put them aside. Don't rebuke them. But let them, allow them to come to me. I mean, what an awesome thing that Jesus says. Allow them to come to me. Don't hinder them. Because the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. They almost, you know, it, there would be a tendency of children to run toward Christ if it weren't for the adults saying, stop acting like that, stop acting like that. We, I, I say it before, man. We should be the kind of people who are in awe of life, who are in awe of how God blesses us through children. He tells his disciples, those learning, don't, don't be like that. Uh, how awesome. And by the way, this isn't just for our church, but all churches, right? I just want to say, because any churches believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, how awesome would it be if churches as a whole were the kind of places that kids couldn't wait to get to, where kids would tell their friends in the playground, hey, you got to come check this thing out. It's awesome. Not like, oh, man, you got to go. I got to go, too. Did your parents make you go? What would it be like to be a church where kids love to come to worship? That's part of our call. It's part of our opportunity we have to be welcoming. Jesus gives us three quotes on this, by the way. Um, one is, is right, uh, it, what he just said, but then here's three more. Jesus says this. This is in Matthew 18, one, verse, one chapter before, three through five is what the word says. He called a little child and said to him, this is on verse two, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And look at verse 5. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Hear that again. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. That's what Jesus said about these children. By the way, it's not for nothing. He said that right before his disciples rebuked him for bringing children. It's me. When you have a tendency to get that little, you know, get a little uh, aggravated, I get it. I understand it. Bad day. But Jesus is like, that's me you're rejecting. Those are my people. Those are kingdom people. Isn't it amazing that when we reject the children, we're rejecting Jesus? Wow, what? If you welcome the children, you welcome him. He adds this in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 9, 37. And he says this, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. So he kind of adds to the ante. He's like, not only are you welcoming me when you welcome children, but you're welcoming the one who sent me. I'm a sent person. I came for a purpose. And then, as if that's not enough, in the Gospel of Luke, he adds another thing. He says, because whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me because it's the one who is the least among you who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The most disposable, the most irrelevant, the most, you know, like, unimportant, Jesus says is the most important. So we're called to welcome children into our presence. Now, a couple ways that manifests itself. I want to remind you again, right now we're in the middle of the 40 Days for Life prayer campaign where we celebrate life and pray. That's all we're doing is celebrating life and praying. I'm always amazed at such a controversial issue because we're excited for moms and dads and children. We're not against anybody. We're for you. And so we pray for that. We pray, oh God, thank you for life. What a gift. We thank him for it. And we pursue that life together. And we know it's hard. Man, it's hard. But it's a blessing. <laughs> we have kids running around. After services usually, and people are visiting, we have people, the kids just make a, just run in circles around this place. Praise God for that. We, we have some weeks, and this morning someone said to me, he said, the nursery sounds like it's about to explode. <laughs> I, I just go, praise God. 
how awesome is that? A couple weeks ago, we were out here, and we were having a conversation, having a serious adult conversation out here, and a, a blast kid hit the door so hard, I thought he was coming through the wall. It was like, blam! And everybody looks over there. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Praise God. These are things we should come to expect in church, not, not the anomaly, not the weird thing that happens, but the normal thing that happens. Why? Because kids are here. Indeed, it's the joy of the Lord. We are excited. I have an assignment for you on this one. I want you, if, maybe you already do this. Some of you do this way better than I do. But pay attention to what kids are doing at church. When you're gathered, whether it's here or somewhere else, watch them what they're doing. I've been watching them lately, and it's like they're building relationships. Hey, hey, come with me, right? They're playing games. Let me show you what I made today. What would you make? They're learning from each other. They're, 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 they're processing what we're sharing about Christ together. There's a lot of deep stuff happening. They're learning to sing. They're learning who Jesus is. They're full of hopes and fears. They're precious and they're priceless. This is why churches should be the very front guard of protecting children. We should want the safest places. No child should be harmed here. This is God's house. These are God's people because they're priceless gifts from God. We should have an attention to that. So the first group of people is children, right? I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do that. I've said that just recently again, I think. Here's the second group, though, right? And this was another one we're going to know. Jesus welcomes sinners. And we talked about this last week a little bit, right? But we're going we're to look at Luke 15 because uh, we can say that um, Jesus welcomes sinners. We can say we are sinners welcomed by Jesus, but then there's that tendency to kind of put on our holy clothes and act better, right, than other people and uh, think we're better, which is, the, you know, a problem because we're not. We are sinners saved by the grace of God, and that is nothing we've done for ourselves to deserve it. It's by his favor so that none of us can be proud or boast. Luke 15 says this, 15.1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I would say this was probably the most regular accusation against Jesus by people who didn't get Jesus. He hangs out with those people. He, he's, he, what, why is he talking to them? And notice, by the way, that the Pharisees are gathering near to Jesus just like the sinners so it's just like mixed crowd. These people don't belong together. You know, usually if the Pharisees were on the street, the sinner would cross the street to get away from the Pharisee as much as the Pharisee would cross the street to get away from the sinner. These were segregated cultures. There's nothing in common. But Jesus shows up and they're all there. And then what happens? The religious folks, why are, why are those people here? What are they doing? Why does he eat with them and sit with them and talk with them? Indeed, what's the word say? Why does he welcome them? Why? Well, Jesus answers that question in other places, right? But here, you know what he does? He tells three stories that are remarkable. He says, because he knows what they're thinking. He knows what their problem is. He knows the brokenness of their minds, right? Which is funny to me because he says, I came to heal the sick, not the healthy, right? And the Pharisees are like, yeah, we're healthy, you know? And then he tells them how their mind's broken. And this is the way he does it. He says, imagine if you were a shepherd and you, you had 100 sheep and one wandered off. Would you not leave 99 and get the one? And would you not keep looking for the one all over the hills and mountains until you found it? And when you found it, put it on your shoulders and carry it back? And would you not be so glad when you found that one? This is what the word says. This is in verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, just like that, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. There's more rejoicing where? In heaven. Over one repentant sinner. And they're like, why are they here? By the way, this isn't a new problem, right? We see this in the Old Testament as well. 
I knew you were a God of mercy. I knew you would take mercy on my enemies. I knew you were going to say, I knew this is what would happen if I proclaimed you. Because you're always this way. You always have favor for us. There's more rejoicing. Will you not rejoice? He says, when you come back, you're going to say to your neighbors, rejoice with me. I have found the lost sheep. That's one story he tells. Here's another story he tells. He says, this woman has 10 coins. She lost a coin. Is she not going to light a lamp and look all over and sweep the house? And You ever lost something like that, by the way? I remember one time we lost a, a, a ring. It might have been an important one. It was a wedding ring. If you lose a wedding ring in your house, you spend a lot of time looking for it. <laughs> you know. And we went through like the vents, the duct work. We went through everything, and we were like, oh, it's got to be here somewhere. You know, we were like, the kids ate it. That's one of our theories. You know? I mean, because you start to go, is it the garbage disposal? Have you ever put your hand in the garbage disposal to get something out? That seems like a very stupid thing to do until you think the wedding ring might be in there. <laughs> you're like putting your hand in there. Don't touch the switch. He says you're going to look all over the house. You're going to dig around until you, and then you're going to find it. And then what's remarkable is this. Listen, it's a tenth. It's a tenth of everything she owns. And this precious, this, this, this treasured coin says she's going to invite her neighbors to come and say, rejoice with me. This is in verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 15. Well, nine. And she finds it. She, she's going to find her friend's neighbors together and say, rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. Why? Because it's precious to me. It's valuable to me. It's mine and it was lost. Look at verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. What's Jesus? He's just begging the question. He's begging the question, right? Remember what the opposition was? Why does he hang out with those people? Why would you be seen eating with those people? Why would you talk to those people? Why would you love those people? They don't belong here. They don't belong in church. They don't belong in my church. They can go to their own church. And his answer is what? Which of you wouldn't do that? Which of you wouldn't be excited for something that was yours that you lost? Third story. He says this. I'm not going to tell the whole story. You know the story. It's about the prodigal son, right? But he takes his father's inheritance. We just talked about that recently. The crushing reality of a kid saying, give me what's mine so I can leave. I'm sick of you. And taking the stuff and then going and squandering it in the world. And there's this moment when the son comes home. And, you know, um, Tim Keller has a book, and it's called The Prodigal God, because he's hung up on the idea that it's not the son that runs to the father. The son kind of comes with a plan. He's coming with some intentionality. But the father <laughs> runs to the son. He sees him. And someone said, we were studying this recently, he said, he must have seen him from afar off. He, that, what's that mean? He must have been watching every day scanning the horizon. Not today. Not today. And then one day, I think it's him. Tim Keller does this whole thing about raising up and running, you know, when they, you wear that garb that they wore in the Middle East. That would be humiliating for the head of the household to do that. You would just stand there and let people come to you. Not this father. He runs. Guess what he does? He has a big old party. He says, you ready? We're having a party. And there's one person that can't stand the idea of the party, and this is his other son who didn't leave. They're having a conversation about it, and that's what he says. He comes back out of the party. This is what I learned in Bible study, by the way, in this. The father runs to two sons. He runs to the first son to invite him to the party he's having for him, puts on the robe and the ring and all that stuff. And then he leaves the party and he walks outside or he goes to his second son and he says, hey, come to the party. Remember what Jesus is doing here. He's talking to the Pharisees. What are you hanging out with sinners for? Hey, come to the party. You think you're better than, just come to the party. You think they don't belong? Just come to the party. It's about a great big party that God is having. Why? It comes in verse, I think it's 17. Let's see if that's, um, nope. Let's find out where it's at here. 30, 31, my son, the father said, you're always with me. This is the second son. 
and everything I have is yours. I want you to remember who Jesus is talking to. These are the ones that said, why would you waste time with sinners? Look, you already have everything. The kingdom belongs to you. But then he says in verse 32, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Huh? He doesn't say, he doesn't say the son of mine, this brother of yours. Don't you see it? Jesus welcomes sinners. Why is he welcoming sinners? Because they're family. They're part of that song we sang. I'm going to see your image in eight billion different ways. Right? Do you see it? We have a tendency to separate from people like that. People that we're not comfortable with. People that don't, don't fit in our socioeconomic status. People that don't fit into our view of the way you should be living. Or people that don't fit and we go, ah, why? I can't hang out with them. Why? But Jesus welcomed them. He did. I heard somebody recently mocking the church. They were mocking the church. It's fine. It happens a lot. Take it. No big deal, right? They were mocking the church, and they said, oh, they just love to have a few sinners around so they can say, oh, look, we take those sinners in too. That's not us. That's okay. I get it why you would think that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing. Man, we're all sinners here by the grace of God. One of the hardest things I have, one of the things I have the hardest time with is communion. Uh, I have conversations with brothers and sisters who believe in Christ, but they talk about the communion table, and they're like, but we got to make sure people are holy enough and right enough. And I'm like, man, are you? Am I? I very much have the view of the communion table that we're grubby children sitting at the wrong table, and our parents are saying, it's fine, have some food. Or as a great theologian once said, it's one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. That's all we are. This uh, accusation that Jesus set with sinners and w- was a con- continual thing, continual thing. How welcoming he was to people is always amazing to me. All right, so those two are pretty obvious. I think you've heard that before, children and sinners. We're gonna run through some other things, though, that Jesus said that are very specific teachings. So those are two, but right away, if you start to say, not those people, maybe those people should be who you're talking to in your life and sharing with, right? That's exactly who, you know? Or maybe it's, oh, that kid's getting on my nerves. Maybe that's the moment. Ah, wait a minute, why is this kid in my life and what is God doing? But here's some other things. Let's look at Luke 14. Um, just one chapter back, and uh, it says that Jesus is teaching this about having parties. Speaking of parties, right, the dad had a party. He says this about having a party in 14.12. When you have a luncheon, or, by the way, he's at a party when he says this. When you have a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Okay, so he's giving you a guest list. If you're going to have a party, this is who you should have to the guest, as a guest. He should, you're welcome. If you do, they may invite you and back, and so you'll be repaid. 13. But when you have a banquet or a feast or a party, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, and invite the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, I have not ever seen a guest list like that. I'm just saying that. I've not been to a party, you know, unless I'm the guy, and I've been the guy, so that's probably fair. <laughs> but, but what a guest list. Don't invite, who did he say? Don't invite your friends, don't invite your family, and don't invite your rich neighbors. But instead, invite those who are poor and crippled, the lame and the blind. And you can read that literally and say, okay, he's really after, you know, people who are financially impoverished, right, and not wealthy. And he, he's really after people who are crippled and who are lame, right? And, and uh, that's true. But there's this other thing that you invite people to your table who are kind of beat down. They're kind of left out, I have heard of someone doing this. 
they had these banquet celebration things where they'd invite people from the community and they would try to find populations that were underloved and underserved and they would just have a big party for them. They would wait tables all night and they would just try to bless these folks, have do all the stuff that people do at weddings and stuff. You know, they'd have like a photo booth and they'd have like a, a fine meal and they would just, and it was just a gift. And they said at the end of the evening they'd have these, they would weep because they were blessed. I was blessed. What? That's what Jesus said. You'll be happy if you do these things. You'll be blessed. What is our tendency to think about? Well, I, I, am, I have lunch with my family all the time, right? Uh, I invite my neighbors over, you know. I do these things, but do we invite in the needy? And that's where we're at. The needy. Do we invite them into our lives? Do we invite in the people that, that, that are a burden, that can't do things, or that won't do things themselves, or that need someone to walk alongside them and help them down the road? Do we spend time doing things that are below our pay grade? Jesus certainly did. Matter of fact, if we read on in, in Luke 14, uh, 15 through 24, Jesus tells a story of a great banquet. And he says some key things in here. He says, uh, when those at the table, by the way, this is the response. He says, you should invite the poor, the, the needy, the blind, and the cripple to come um, and dine with you, and you'll be blessed. You'll be happy. But then the, the, they interpret it. The people who are having the party with Jesus interpret it like this. Well, blessed are the man who eats at the kingdom of the feast of God. <laughs> they like turn it right away. Well, ble- yeah, blessed is going to be the one who eats at the feast of God. And then Jesus says, let me tell you a story about the feast of God. And he says this, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, because everything's made ready. But they all like began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field and I have to go see it. Please excuse me. And another one said, I just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. So please excuse me. And another said, well, I just got married. So I can't come. The servant went back and reported these things to the master. And the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant. Now go out and quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and listen what the word says, Jesus, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, what you ordered has been done, but there's still more room. And then the master said, go out into the roads and countrysides and make them all come in so that my house will be filled. I tell you the truth, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. What? Rejecting the opportunity. I'm not, I'm not, I, I, what, what, what are they? Real quick, I want to run through. What were the things that they rejected them? How do you miss the kingdom of God? You start making excuses for What? Being possessed by your possessions, right? That's the first thing we see. That, that first uh, kind of response is, um, uh, let's see, where is it at? I bought a field. I have to go see it. I can't come to the party. I got to go see my stuff. Uh, the second is being obsessed with work. I would help out, but I got this important job. I got these new oxen. I got to take them out in the field and drive them around and see how they work. And the third is, I'm having my own party. I got my own thing. I can't come to your thing. I got a thing. And the owner, Jesus says this, the owner of the party would say, don't bother. Don't bother. And he invites those who are lame and blind and uh, poor to come and eat at the king's table. What an invitation that we have. We should invite people like that into our lives, and there should be ways that we find to practically serve them. Can I tell you something? I think you're doing a good job in life when someone says to you, why do you waste your time with X? That's usually a sign you're maybe on the right path. How many times are you going to go and do that for that person? You're probably on the right path. Serving those around us who have needs. Here's the next one. Similar but different, right? Jesus welcomes strangers. He welcomes strangers into his house. Uh, Matthew 25. Flip back there. Matthew 25, verses 34 through 46. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who were blessed by my father, and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Because I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Well, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or you needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Every time we're doing these things, like there's got to be a recognition that it's him that we're serving. Jesus welcomed strangers into his life. He welcomed people from afar. And by the way, I just want to do a little side note here. The stranger might be a neighbor, <laughs> right? I mean, it's funny to me how we can be strangers with people who live like 50 feet from us and we're strangers. I hope maybe that's changing in your environment. Maybe you get to know, maybe some of you are like a mile or two from your neighbor, but fair enough. But you know, do you know them? Do you know who they are? But how about a stranger though, a, a, a true stranger? What can we do to serve a stranger? What can we do to love a stranger? What can we do to welcome a stranger? By definition, they don't seem like us. They're not in the circumstances that we're in. But every time you've done it, Jesus says, for the least of these, you've done it to me. This is very much like what we hear him say about children, right? Whatever you did for the least of, here's the word again, these brothers of mine, you did for me. By the way, that flips around in the next verse. Next, I'm not gonna read it, but it flips around and it says, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. And they're like, Lord, when did we not? And they're like, every time you didn't do it, you didn't do it for me. So it's not just a command to do things, a positive command, but it's a command to not, not do things. That we're ignoring Christ when we aren't serving people in that way. I remember um, when I worked in downtown St. Louis, I would always try to be mindful of the fact that the people I'm in, engaging in those moments on the sidewalk are image bearers of God. And that would include everyone. And I don't know how your operation works, but for me, it's sometimes it's easier to see it in the person begging than see it in the CEO in the corner office. Let me say that again. It's easier for me, for the way God made me, whatever, to see Jesus in a beggar than to see Jesus in the CEO in the corner office. That's just my own brokenness, right? But I would work hard to try to recognize it was Christ and to, and to respond in that way, to recognize that when I serve them, I serve him. When I welcome them, I welcome him. Some of you have jobs like that. Can I encourage you to take a stranger out and eat? Can I encourage you next time you're cruising around and someone says, hey, do you have a couple bucks? And you have the time, and you have the time, said, you know what? what do you, I want, I'm, I'm hungry. Let's go eat together. Try you might be amazed at what you discover. Blessed. All right? Jesus also welcomed other groups. Here we go. We got three more to go, or four more to go. Oh, we got, no, no, three more to go. Wanderers. He welcomed wanderers into his life, right? I, I had another word for this, like sojourners or travelers or the lost, right? But he had this way of welcoming people into his life, and we're called to do the same. Um, Isaiah uh, 58, 6 through 9, reads like this. Um, is not, is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen for you? To loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Like we, like that's, is that not the kind of fasting that I desire from you? Not the kind of sacrifice I desire from you? And then Hebrews uh, 13, 1 through 3, the exhortation at the end says this, keep on loving each other as brothers. 
Do not forget to entertain strangers, because by doing so, some people have entertained angels without even knowing it. Remember, here it is again. Remember those in prison as if you were fellow prisoners with them, and those who are mistreated as if you yourself are being mistreated. What is he saying? It's like, be with them. Be with them in their brokenness, in their lostness, in their wandering. Another word is like sojourners or journeyers. Be willing to walk a while with people in their lives as they take the journey themselves. Be willing to come alongside them. We were talking, you know, about uh, after the resurrection, how Jesus does this very thing with his own disciples. He's walking down the road with them, right? And he just, just joins in their journey for a while. They don't even recognize him. The words that they kept from recognizing him, but they don't even tell, couldn't tell us him until he got to the house and broke bread. And they're like, ah, and he was gone. They recognized him. How can we come alongside people in the middle of the journey and say, I'm just going to take, and you know, just the next few steps with you. I'm going to walk for a while with you. I'm going to see what life's like for you. And, and I'm going to feel like when you're having a hard time, I'm having a hard time. I'm going to let your life affect me. Is that what it says? As if the burdens were your own. Visit a prisoner as if you yourself were in prison. Not, well, that's, 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 that's too bad for that person. Too bad for that guy, that girl. No, you're being mistreated. Oh, it's like I'm being mistreated. Jesus would walk with people like this in their lives through the struggles, the real life problems. Two more. We can welcome Christians. Now, this might sound obvious. You go, well, of course we're going to welcome Christians because, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. And I think that that's probably um, true. We do this um, pretty readily. But, but I'm not sure that we always encourage Christians. I'm going to read from 1 Peter 4, uh, 8 and 9. This is what the word says. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's, what, grace in its various forms. So we should love each other. And I say, you know, we maybe do this well, we welcome each other well, but we do and then we don't, right? Because then all of a sudden familiarity breeds contempt. You know, you get in church with that person, you're like, oh, I used to like that person, now we have problems and all that, and we let things get in the way. But the word says, don't stop loving each other. Don't stop welcoming each other. Into, your, into one of those lives, right? Be faithful in that opportunity. Uh, Romans 12, 13 reads like this. Share with God's people who are in need. Indeed, the word here says practice hospitality, right? Learn to try, learn to be open, learn to invite, learn to share, learn to welcome. By the way, I'm thinking because we had a couple of missionaries that are home on furlough. We can love missionaries well while they're home. Like we can, you can welcome them and encourage them and send them back out into the field, right? And so this is something that we can do to welcome one another uh, in the Lord. Okay, and here's the last one. Here's the last one. Ready? Enemies. We learn to welcome enemies. You say, what? Why we, why we do that? This is from Romans 12, <clears throat> 13 through 20. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We just read that. Bless those who persecute you. Yes, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I, I can't imagine a harder thing than welcoming someone who has harmed you or who has who is, um, uh, caused pain in your life in some way. And, and uh, we have an opportunity to do that as Christians, to welcome our enemies. Um, there's one more verse, and this is in uh, Matthew 5. Hopefully, if it's there, we'll see when we get there. 
Matthew 5, 43 and 45. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So here's Jesus teaching. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but I'm gonna say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, to be welcoming to those who, are, who, who seem like they're against us or who are truly against us, to welcome them in. And so I have a final question then with that in mind. Well, how do you welcome an enemy? Like, how do you really welcome an enemy? Like, that sounds like, I'll pray for them when they're over there, but how can I welcome someone who's, who, who, who at their very core uh, hates me, doesn't like me, doesn't want to be around me? How can I do that practically? Romans 5, 8 through 10, I'm going to go ahead and turn there. So that's exactly what God has done for us, 5, 8 through 10. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since you and I have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Because if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the blood of his son, how much more, having reconciled, shall we be saved now through his life? So this, this is the gospel call to be welcoming to people. And it's a gospel call to be welcoming even to the enemies. And you think, well, how can I do it? And then we look, this is where we see it. We look at the cross of Christ and he's like, while you hate me, I die for you. While you reject me, I die for you. And you have forgiveness of sins in my name. And indeed, because of Easter, you have life in my name. You'll be raised to new life. This is the way we're welcomed into the kingdom. This is the way we're welcomed into Jesus' life. Okay, so one final thought. Here goes. What does it feel like to be welcomed? For all these people groups, what does it feel like to be welcomed? I don't know. I want you to think about that in your own life. I mean, just think about a time that you've been received well. You've been welcomed well. Someone's been glad to see you. I remember for me, it was my granny growing up. My granny was a southern lady, and when you show up at granny's house, she would say, well, sugar, come on in. And you would go in her house, and she would, you'd drop your bags at the door, and she's like, are you hungry? And she would take you in there. I'm not kidding you, man. And I think about that, and I go, oh, what a way, way to be welcomed. Well, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you spend time with me. And I go, I, I want to welcome folks like that. Oh, I can't believe you're here. I'm so glad you've come. This is the way we can welcome people. How, what is it for you? That's just me. What is it for you? How can you welcome people? Who can you call sugar that doesn't deserve it? You know the truth the matter is, half time I got the granny's house, I'm like, uh, you don't know me. If you knew what I did last night, you wouldn't be glad to see me. The truth is that Jesus loves us as we are where we are, and we can do the same for others. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me, and I don't know if you need that kind of reception today, but if you need it, I hope that you would hear it from God himself. He's so glad you're here. Like, not here, here, but here with him, right? Listening to him. And if you're part of his church, you're born again, believing in Christ, could, how could you become the kind of person that would say, ah, I'm so glad you're here. Don't worry about knocking. That's fine. It's fine. We can welcome one another. Pray with me if you would. Father God, I thank you so much for the chance we have to kind of see your model of ministry. And Lord, you know, your kingdom is not a kingdom of words, but of action. And we're, we're called to do the things you've done. And I confess today, Father, that, man, we, I, I've not had one of these blind, lame, uh, poor parties. Uh, Father, would you show us opportunities like that? 
Lord, would you help us to welcome others the way you welcome us? And Father, I want to pray one bold prayer. If there's somebody here today that thinks that, eh, they don't belong in your kingdom, they're not the right kind of person, they've done some stuff, Father, would you teach them with your Holy Spirit that that's exactly who you came to invite, that you came to invite us, those who didn't deserve it, those who don't deserve it now, that we could eat at your table. Would you convince them in their heart that you sent your son to die for them, that they could be invited to the party? May you do your work as we respond. May you do your work as we live out this week together. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.